we're talking about a guy called Moses. Now, uh, Dennis Adide, our previous curate, everyone remember Dennis? Um, was preaching at his church the other Sunday, and he said, hands up if you've heard of Moses. And in a room full of 100-odd people, uh, five people put their hands up. So let's try it here. Have you heard of Moses? Okay, well, we're in slightly uh, better shape here. Um, who was Moses? Tell him. Oh, don't, don't tell me that. <laughs> who was Moses? Old Testament or New Testament? Old Testament. He rescued the Israelites from Egypt. That's right. He rescued the Israelites from Egypt. He, there were 10 plagues. They went through the parting of the something sea, the Red Sea, um, and amazing things happened. In uh, chapter 17, he's not long gone through uh, the Red Sea. He's taken 600,000 men out of, uh, out of Egypt. He's seen manna and quail provided for him. So this stuff just comes down. And all sorts of people get fed, uh, you know, feeding a multitude of people miraculously. He struck a rock, as God's told him to, and water has flowed from the rock. And suddenly he's going to go into battle number one for the Israelites to work out whether they're going to be able to survive in a new land. And this is against the Amalekites. And bearing in mind that he has just watched the Israelite army, which is by far mightier than the Amalekites, utterly defeated by God. God's fought for them, not just in the Red Sea, but before the Red Sea, through a, a pillar of fire, uh, which has protected them from the Egyptians. Uh, Moses is now faced with some enemies. What does he do? Well, the first thing is he says uh, this, uh, 17 verse 8, Exodus 17 verse 8, the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. <laughs> I mean, it's just an amazing idea, isn't it? So he's sending Joshua, his uh, young right-hand man, to go and fight them with just some of the men. But Moses, the main leader, is not going to be in the middle of the battle fight there. What's he going to do? He's going to take the staff of God, which is, if you remember the staff, it's the one that he's thrown on the ground and it's become a snake. And then he's picked up the snake and it's become the staff again. It's the one that he held out in front of the Red Sea and the Red Sea parted. He's taking the staff up there. He's taking with him his history with God and going up the mountain of the Lord. He's taking everything he knows about the power of God and going to go up the mountain of the Lord. Why is he scared? Is he running away? No, he's got the basics right down to a T. He knows where the power comes from. And he knows what his job is to do, is to wield the authority of God. The power is going to come from the Lord to defeat these people. Remember, the people he's got with him, there is a multitude, but all they've done all their lives has been slaves. They're not trained fighting people. How are they going to win a battle against this, uh, this fierce tribe? They're unlikely. But he knows where the power comes from. It comes from on high. And he goes up the mountain to God and hacks the staff in his hand with all of his history. Um, and so Joshua goes, does what he's told, fights the Amalekites as Moses has ordered. And uh, then we're going to have to put this in a, a visual display. So um, I need three, uh, three volunteers. Simon, that's a great volunteering. Thank you very much. Um, uh, Karen, thank you. That's very kind of you. And uh, Zoe, lovely. Thank you. Uh, do, do, do come up. Um, I don't know who should be Moses out of the three of you. Um, let's make Zoe Moses. Yeah, there you are. She's got younger arms. Okay, uh, so if you face these guys, um, and Zoe, you need to go in the middle. Um, and um, and this, this is what happens. Um, um, they, they go up to her, and as long as Moses holds up his hands, the Israelites are winning. So she just holds her hands up there like that. Um, and down there is, is Joshua fighting away. Um, 
and they're winning. But after a while, it's quite hard work holding your hands up, isn't it? Um, and so um, what happens next is that uh, Moses' hands grow tired, and they put a stone and put it under him, and he sits on it. Um, so have a seat on, on that, that little thing there. It's lovely. Um, there you are. It's only a stone. It's not a throne. Um, and, uh, and Aaron and her hold his hands up, one on each side. Uh, and they, they do that, holding his hands steady until sunset. Actually, you can see from how they're actually that sort of almost kneeling down next to is the, is the logical way of doing it. So you've got Moses holding his hands up, the staff of God, which is all the memories of God's incredible power, and people standing there with him and making a difference. And as long as his hands are up, the battle's won. If his hands sag at all, the battle goes. And, and, um, and so Joshua overcomes the Amalekite army with the sword, and God says to the, Moses, Write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it. I guess Joshua's going to come back from the battle and go, I won, I won. But he wants him to know that the only reason he won is because of the praying people on the hill. Um, thank you, through a little clap for these guys. Thank these guys. Um, and the thing about prayer is that um, people say that prayer doesn't change anything. God changes everything in response to prayer, um, which is true. But in shorthand, prayer changes everything. It's an incredible thing. For some reason, God has set up the universe in such a way that he listens when we cry out to him and when we ask him for things. I was, I was just with someone before coming over, and he said... Um, through life, I've been rubbish at writing down my prayers. So it's quite hard for me to know when God's answered a prayer specifically. But there have been a few things, and he was telling me about a depression that he'd had uh, when, he, when he was uh, about 50. Um, and he couldn't go into work uh, without just wanting to crumble up inside. And it was a new term. He was a teacher. And uh, so I just can't cope with this. But he got asked if he would do a school assembly. And that was just like tipping him over the edge. And he said to God, unless you do something, I'm not going to be able to do this. And he'd tried medical stuff. He'd been on drugs and off drugs and all sorts of things. Uh, but that, that day, he walked in to the school and was able to deliver the assembly and was fine. And he wrote that one down. He said, that became what Moses called his staff, one of his history moments, where he could carry that then into prayer, saying, I know that God changed things when I prayed and when I called out to him. And then he had that sort of weapon in his prayer arsenal to draw on and go, yeah, God does do things. He said, I'm rubbish at writing things down, so I can't tell you most of my prayer answers, but I've got a few things like that, and I call them my Ebenezer Stones, which is uh, the story from 1 Samuel Nicola was telling us the other week. Just a marking point that says, then God did something. A few years ago, uh, Jill and a few other people uh, met to pray in the, what is now the soft play uh, room. And were praying and praying for something to happen. And when it happened, they knew that it had happened. It was a wonderful thing. And there's, there's a level in prayer, which is about a tenacity and a persistence until something happens. Which is really important. And important for us as a church to get to. And really soon, actually. There's something about prayer which is... Enjoying the worship, adoration. There's something about it where confession has to happen. And sometimes if our life is in a complete mess, we don't really get much beyond confession because all we get is, oh, God, I'm sorry. 
And it's, it's like going to a boxing match. And if I could borrow Tillam again. Um, thank you, my friend. Um, now, if, if Tillam is... Uh, um, do you want to be God or do you want to be the sinner? You get a choice here. It hurts more to be God, to be fair. <laughs> You'll be the sinner. Okay, right. You've got to punch me. Not too hard. Okay. And then say sorry. And then punch me again. And then say sorry. And then punch me again. I forgive you. I forgive you. Oh, my goodness me. And many of us have that relationship with God, don't we? Like, sorry, God, 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 sorry, God. You know, you don't really get enough time to ask for any major prayer breakthroughs because all you've got time to do is go, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It comes to a point where actually, thank you, that was, that was great. Well, word, I'm sorry. You have to just go, okay, God, you've got to help me break through this. And sometimes what you just need to do is pray until something happens. Have you heard that? Push. Pray until something happens, until you get a breakthrough. God, I have been stuck in this rubbish moment in my life for ages. Do something! Yeah? And you pray. And you don't just say a little prayer. You pray. Do you know that your prayer is your heart connecting to God's heart and words aren't that important? It's just something about it connecting. God, I don't want to be stuck like this forever. Now, it is true that sometimes God says, tough. You know, he said that to Paul. He wanted to have a thorn in his flesh removed, whatever that might be, some temptation or some speaking disorder or 49 other possible things. He said it to Jesus Christ. When he was sweating blood in the garden of Gethsemane, he said, take it away from me, take it away from me, take it away. He said, no, you've got to go through it. So sometimes God says no when you want him to, but essentially we're sort of tooled up to pray until we get a breakthrough when we're on track with God. Getting on track with God is really important. And then praying until you get a breakthrough is really important. I've told you this before, but I'm going to tell you it tonight because it, it just reminds me of this Moses story really well. And it's when I went to South Korea and we were involved in a youth celebration one evening. And they'd, they'd been praying for the youth celebration at 5.30 till 7 o'clock. That was a, a, the pre-meeting prayer meeting. And then they worshipped and prayed from 7 till 11 including a few bits of teaching, but basically it was worship, prayer, worship, prayer, ministry, worship, prayer, ministry, teaching, confession, all that sort of thing. And at the end of evening number one, um, a number of the boys in the room had disconnected at sort of 10.15 in the evening and were just sort of standing there. They weren't mucking around, they weren't running around, they weren't doing anything particularly wrong. They just weren't really connected to God. And what struck me is this is in South Korea where they'd recently had a revival and the youth leaders were offended on God's behalf that there were people in a worship meeting who weren't engaged with God. And so out of a sense of offense on God's behalf, they prayed through the night that the young people would catch fire and be on fire for God and worshiping. And what happened is we were in the afterglow of this because we brought over some British-born Chinese kids who had, you know, just a typical level of Western engagement with God. And um, on day three, one of these kids literally caught spiritual fire. He was a kid caught with acne all over his face, was low confidence, uh, was looked down upon by people all the time. 
And then suddenly, God just got him. And he went to the front and got all of us and said, come forward, come forward, come forward. We've got to pray for Bristol, which is where we all lived at the time. And this kid suddenly became a rally call leader out of nowhere. Why? Well, God's economy, who knows exactly why, but it was something to do with prayer that just prayed until something happened and he changed. And God sort of set up the world in such a way that he invites Christians to grow in prayer until we know how to pray until something happens. Something about getting into God's presence, adoration, confession, the thanksgiving. We do a lot in our, our worship setting. And then there's the knowing how to just leverage heaven and what God wants to do until it becomes the reality on earth as it is in heaven. In uh, Yonggi Cho's book, Prayer Key to Revival, he is challenged by God to pray for specifics. And he prays for three things. He's been praying for ages, for a bicycle, a lamp, and something else, desk or something like that. And nothing happens. And then one day, he gets a nudge from God saying, well, you didn't tell me which one you wanted. And he prays specifically for a nice type of bicycle, a nice lamp, and a nice something else. And they come in, and he says, I learned something there. I learned to ask God for specifics and see, see what happens. We have to get through the basic levels of Christianity because there's a load ahead of us. It's an adventure of a lifetime. We don't want to be stuck being uh, the sinner, going boom, 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 boom. Of course, we'll sin. Of course, we'll need to come back to God in confession all the time. One of the prayers this morning was, God, please show me how much of a sinner I am so that I can repent of it properly. Great prayer from a wonderful prayer warrior. But we also, wouldn't it be awesome if we got to be Moses and his friends on the mountain going, I can see what God wants to do. I'm going to bring my history up the mountain, my record of how God's delivered us already. And I'm just going to hold on in prayer until something happens. Jesus goes up a mountain, becomes dazzling white, comes down a mountain. His idiotic disciples are there trying to cast a demon out. He walks up to the demon, goes, go away, it goes away. They go, why can't we do that? He said, that comes out only by prayer, possibly and by fasting. Jesus had done all the confession stuff. That wasn't a problem for him. He just lived a good life. He didn't have to get stuck on that level. He knew how to adore and thank, praise, just be in his father's presence, watch what his father was doing. And then he could speak with great authority, come out. He knew how to pray, how to break through. And there's an adventure, a journey for us if we'll push into it, of intercession. The church in our country, particularly um, those of us who are uh, sort of from England originally, is not, not great at this. Occasionally you get some wonderful people coming over who have, uh, have learned how to pray in countries like Korea or parts of Africa or Indian pastors who come over and they're like, they, they turn up here and they're like, what's going on? I thought this was England. You know, we got the gospel from you. 
And one of the problems is of having once won the battle for the nation, we can forget how to pray until something happens. The original missionaries who went out around England prayed until something happened. Cuthbert and others saw incredible miracles, relied on God. And tonight, God's looking for people who will go, yeah, okay, I'll pray until something happens. I'll work out how to be in the secret place. I'll know how to get through the confession, through the thanksgiving layers until I'm in that place with you where I know your will and I'm just going to hold on to you in prayer to see wonderful miracles. My contention is it's, it's very hard to teach prayer. and um, You have to sort of do hard yards to learn it, but you can catch it infectiously from people. There's all sorts of prayer. There's prayers where you do nothing, where you're quiet, where you're still, prayers where you're noisy, prayers where you're weepy, all sorts of things. But the real prayer is just something where your heart or your, almost like your belly connects to God in a way that's very hard to describe. And from within you comes these cries that sometimes become words, sometimes become words in other language, or stillness, or all sorts of things. It's very hard to describe prayer. But you know it when you're doing it. And it can become just your daily conscious reality to just basically be in prayer. The passage we had set for us tonight says, pray constantly. It doesn't mean constantly be writing prayers. It means... Just be in that place with God all the time where you're asking, doing, pushing, and things happen around you. Um, that's all I wanted to say tonight, really. We're going um, to close up now. Um, and uh, I'd love to just ask you as you go from here tonight to... Well, if, if Dennis was here, he'd say, go on one, one step further. <laughs> Move 1% further forward. It's not a bad prayer, is it? If you know you've been stuck in a sort of confession cycle, <laughs> step out of it. Um, if you know that you rarely thank God, start making a list of things to thank him for, beginning with the fact that you can breathe. <laughs> If you're not great at adoring God, um, ask Stephen for a hit list of songs to play on your, on your iPod as you're walking around. But wouldn't it be amazing to be a room where we knew that when there was a key prayer request, there was sufficient staffs in our hand where we go, right, yeah, I've got that one. I'm going to pray and something's going to happen. And with concrete faith, like Moses, we walk up the mountain, get to the top of the mountain, and we're like, come on, you know? That, that's what God's calling his church for, to be the intercessors again. And I reckon he's calling you to it, because it's just for all of us, it's not for the super clever. To hold on to him, to build up your personal history of this is where he did something. Come on, Lord. Come on, Lord. Do something. Wouldn't it be great 
to see one more breakthrough this week. One more thing, one more person. You're like, I'm just going to hold on to this one thing until it happens, Lord. And then I'll move on to the next thing. I'm going to pray for this one situation. If he says no, you have to go, okay. Paul, got a no. Jesus, got a no. Okay, I've got a no. I'll move on to the next thing. God, please show me what to pray for. And I'm going to just pray for it while I grow my muscles. May God bless us. May he keep us. May he make his face shine upon us and may he give us peace. Lord, we love you so much. You are so good. You're so kind. You're so worthy. You're so forgiving. I'm so, so sorry that we and I have got so much to say sorry for. Thank you so much that you're quicker to forgive than we are to repent. And that when we do forgive, you take it as far away as the east is from the west. Please, Lord, we pray for a revival. Pray for hearts turning to you in London, in Chiswick, in Ealing, in Brentford, in Hounslow, all around this area, Lord. Pray that you stir people spiritually to long for you. Make people homesick for heaven. Pray you put eternity in people's hearts. Pray you call them home. Pray that we will see people coming to you in repentance, coming to you for mercy, coming to you for hope and healing. Pray that you'll do a mighty act even in our day, Lord. That we'll see a turning of this spiritual climate into one where it's full of praises for you, for your name's sake. Pray that you unleash your love across this city and bring many prodigals home. Pray that you bind up the brokenhearted and restore the joyless. Pray that you send us out as your ambassadors of your good and of your will tonight. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. And the worship's over. Prayer is beginning. Uh, have a good week and uh, keep praying. Thank you.